0: Hello and welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communications. My name's Steve Barrett. I'm the Editorial Director of PR Week. Gonna guide you gently through another show, another busy week, Frank, on the content farm. But um, yeah, what have you
1: been? I've been well. It's been a busy week and a busy day today uh with a bunch of stories happening as yeah. well so yeah that's now the way be- we like it you're between marathons right you did yes, berlin
0: right. and then you're gearing up for new york so yes. how's the training coming and uh, how's, how's the
1: injuries knock fact? on <laughs> multiple <laughs> uh no knock on what? it's going okay so looking yes, forward to you. handing a bottle of water you to you for you at the bottom yes. of our
0: street in uh brooklyn yes once you once year. you hit
1: the downhill off of uh lafayette
0: avenue yeah so yeah exactly yes. So we'll be chatting to Frank about a bunch of uh, topical issues, including influencers like uh, Travis Kelsey and uh, Mr. Beast and uh, the Pizza Hut Hut Girl Math campaign. Lots of uh, interesting stuff going on in that space. We'll tackle the IPGQ3 numbers, talk about PRSA New York and uh, email statements that they've had to uh, amend twice. We'll talk about gun violence prevention, um, important work there, and some big executive changes at edelman but first of all here's our guest great guest this week it's jim o'leary who's ceo of north america for the weber shandwick collective jim welcome to the show how are you doing
2: hey steve hey frank thanks for having me gentlemen excited to be here
0: calling in from chicago but coming into town tomorrow for the 40 under 40 so we're looking forward to seeing you seeing you in person then
2: Indeed, 40 Under 40 tomorrow night. Gabby Sagers, a big shout out to her.
0: Yeah, looking forward to um, honoring her and the other honorees. It's going to be a great night. Always a brilliant night, that one. And Jim, you were a 40 Under 40 honoree way back. Well, not that far back, actually, 2014. And you're on our um, 40 Under 40 family tree that we produced for... The 25th anniversary. So you and a bunch of alums, a very famous bunch of people on that uh, family tree, that have gone on to great things. Was that a big moment in your career, being honoured like that?
2: I saw that. Yeah, I love it. Uh, Ten years ago now, I guess it makes uh, you know the time. The time has gone by quite quickly, Steve. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to, to spend some time with uh, Gabby and all of the uh, honorees tomorrow night.
0: Yeah. Now, listen. You ter- you joined um, Weber in January. I think after um, a reasonably long career at Edelman, fifteen years, and I mean, since you joined, I don't know if this is a just a coincidence, but the numbers seem to be going up and up and up. So that's all your all your work, is it? Tell us tell us how it's been for the first nine months at Weber.
2: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and yes, we, we're certainly having a, a solid year. Um, I think, you know, I've been around, I guess you said, nine months now. It's been great. I did, a, as you would expect, I did my first 100 days listening tour. I traveled around, you know, more than a dozen offices, met the team, tons of our clients. And uh, it was great. I mean, as you'd expect um, from a company that works with, you know, about half of the Fortune 500, I uh, met a lot of talented people. Saw the impressive, uh, you know, probably most impressive client roster I've ever seen. Strong client relationships, breadth of capability, uh, really impressive culture here. People here for each other in tough times like I think, you know, we're in so often these days. And then, you know, then there's the work and uh, not only the most awarded uh, agency at can I think, of our of our competitive set, but also um, certainly on the PR week award circuit with some of our work, uh, particularly the Ancestry work that I think just won – quite recently, at the right. yeah. course, if I recall correctly, Steve. You
0: were there in person to pick it up. Well, sort of. But anyway, we won't go into that. <laughs>
2: Indeed. Well, you know, after uh, the prior year where I didn't get to spend too much time on stage, I really wanted uh, to make an impression this year. Um, it was lovely.
0: <laughs> now, having gone from... The Weber and Edelman are the two biggest PR firms in the world. So having gone from one to the other... Can you sort of say what are the, obviously both fantastic agencies? What are the differences between them? You know, and what are the similarities? How have you s- seen that change? One's a holding company firm, one's resolutely independent, as we know. But took took us through that a little bit.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that there are great people at both firms, and I certainly enjoyed and learned a lot during my 15 years at Edelman. Um, when I think about where we are right now here at Weber Shanwick, and I think about, you know, the momentum that we have and all of the new talent that we've been bringing in and the new talent that we've been elevating from within, you know, and where things, going, uh, things are going from a marketplace perspective, um, you know, I'm really bullish, right? And I think we've talked about this a lot, um, but, you know, for those who are less familiar, our strategy right now here at Weber is really focused on kind of three primary things in North America where we're driving, focused on driving growth. And they're all connected to the trends that we talk about every single day, right? There's first on the corporate affairs side, which is an area we're certainly doubling down in. You know, you've heard me talk about on uh, probably endless occasion at this point, uh, how there's, um, you know, because of the increased level of challenge that exists in the world, I think that, you know, the role of a head of corporate affairs and the role of corporate affairs function is more important than it's arguably ever been. Um, so that's one area that we're certainly prioritizing our growth in. Second is, is of course, health, uh, and you know, spotlight that uh, was placed on health that came along with the pandemic certainly hasn't gone away. I think when I, uh, I'm really thrilled about um, the health portfolio that we have here at Weber Shandwick. I mean, it's the largest, certainly, uh, portfolio climate uh, pharma clients I think in the industry. Roughly two thirds of top pharma we're working for these days, and so for that, for us, it's more about building on that momentum. And then the third pillar of our strategy is around brand, right? And you know that we're so focused always on work that makes impact. And of course, we don't mind winning those awards like we did at Cannes or like we do at PR Week. Um, And so our strategy on that front is also continuing to build on that success.
0: Yeah, you neatly sidetracked that question. Well done. Um, but uh, uh, yes, yeah, certainly um, some big um, priorities. And on the health pharma front, you've won some nice work. IPG won some nice work for Pfizer, didn't it, earlier this year? But I think has picked up a bunch of that in terms of the PR side, and not just the product PR stuff.
2: Yeah, absolutely. We're I mean, we're thrilled with the Pfizer um, win and, and all the work that we've been doing on that front. It's really interesting. And at some point, we should talk about it in more depth. But like, the work especially that we're doing here at the kind of nexus of creative and, and technology, um, you know, really proud of. Also, I mean, I'm sure you've seen or we've talked about in the past probably some of the work that we're doing on the public health front um, for uh, the CDC. Really, really impressive work there. I mean, in general, I do. Um, I, I'm really, really pleased with, you know, what I have found in terms of the, what we're um the work that we're doing on, on the health front here at Weber Shanwick. And, and frankly, our strategy, which we can talk about, you know, later on in this podcast, I'm sure about what we're going to do going forward, because, you know, um, some kind of building on the success we've had on the pharma side, we do have a, a very strong focus now of continuing to diversify into other emerging growth areas that are more around corporate health, public health, health policy, health tech, and a number of areas like that.
0: Yeah, one thing you decided to do was sell Revive, which was an agency that uh, Weber acquired a few years ago. What was the th- thinking behind that decision, They're a Nashville-based firm?
2: Yeah, exactly. So, And Revive, obviously a great company, um, and um, wish them um, uh, well in the future. I mean, the reality is when I came in, I did a portfolio evaluation, as as you would you know expect to do. And what we determined ties back to exactly what I just said to you, which is that our growth strategy in health is very much focused on two things. One, it's – continuing to, uh, accelerate, uh, all the work that we have on the pharma side and, 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 with the Pfizer, win, continuing to scale that business. And then, you know, the second piece of it is diversifying into a couple specific areas. And those areas are corporate health, public health, health policy, health tech, et cetera. And it just was, it just, you know, made sense to, um, divest, revive, given the fact that they weren't aligned with that strategy. And I think that they're going to be a great company, um, you know, with, uh, in partnership with their new owners.
0: Yeah. Now I couldn't help but notice that since you you came over from Edelman, a couple of other execs have come over as well. Sheila Mulligan and most recently Jordan Rittenbury, and may have been others. I don't know. But uh, is that a is that a policy to to raid the old employer, or is that uh, just a coincidence?
2: Yeah, well, Steve, you probably have seen that I've, you know, brought in um, top talent from all over the industry, which is certainly going to be our continued focus, um, in addition to elevating people from within. And so I think it was just last week or the week before you saw that we named Michael Wayman our president of our New York office. And you should look, um, you know, for before the year's out for a number of other internal promotions as well.
0: All right. so Sounds good. Um, tell us about Dextra, right? We, when Andy Polanski was around as CEO, um, IPG or Weber set up this – well, not Weber. It was a, a sort of umbrella organization called Dextra, which included a bunch of agencies as well as uh, most of the PR firms. It, I think that's still going with health, Dextra Health. But it seems like movements like the weber Shand- Shandwick Collective have kind of replaced that a little bit. Tell us the status of Dextra as a, as a structure, uh, as part of uh, you know the IPG Comms and Marketing segment.
2: Yeah, well, so Dextra predated me, so I don't actually don't have all of the specifics around and the ins and outs. But I, you're absolutely right in that Dextra remains in the context of Dextra Health, and uh, that's that's where it remains. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. So what's the concept of the collective? That's quite a, you know, that we call the Weber, Weber Shandwick has now become the Weber Shandwick collective. Just briefly to talk us through what, what the thinking is behind yeah. that.
2: Yeah. So, well, I mean, like, look, the power of the collective is 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 what you'd expect it to be, right? We have a number of leading either companies or brands that when you bring them together, uh, you know, allow you to, to um, provide your clients with what we think is you know the most sophisticated and comprehensive, right, suite of of services that there is. To say it all more like plainly, I mean, when I talked to you earlier about my strategy, right? Our strategy here in North America, which of course ladders up to our global strategy. So if we if if we intend to double down in corporate affairs, for example, and you look at the uh, Webertinum Collective and all of the companies that we have within it, like. There are there's there's very specific um, bets that we're making in corporate affairs, right? But if you're a, a client and you know we have many of them that do this that is working with us from a corporate affairs perspective, and maybe you actually might need some help on the brand marketing side, they like to be able to you know enter at one point but go wherever is is needed, and we that's the whole point of the collective is that we can bring that together for them in a way where they don't have to like go searching for it, right? Um, the other thing that it allows us to do. And given what's happening in the world right now in terms of like trends in AI and predictive and um, analytics more broadly, like you can build essentially like a, an analytics um, and insights operation that services whatever part of the collective um, is, 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 is necessary or is needed, right? And then there's other parts of the collective that are highly specialized. And so we have United Minds, right? United Minds is our management consultancy. Right. We have um, Resolute, which is um, what you might call like a performance marketing or performance communications shop. Um, but they're all housed together in a way where if you're a client, you, don't, you know, you can come to a one place and get a, a team that works across the entire collective to help solve whatever yeah. specific problem is. Because as you guys know, you know, clients, they, they don't think in terms of like agency capability, but they think in terms of the problems that they're trying to solve problems they're trying to solve for their their C-suite that either they're part of or they're working in service of, problems that they're trying to solve for the business that they're part of or the brand that they're um, managing. And so that's, you know, that's essentially the thinking behind the collective.
0: Yeah, you mentioned AI and you've got an interesting partnership with a company, I think it's called Blackbird. Is that correct? Yeah, we do. But just tell us about your attitude to AI and, you know, everybody's talking about the concepts. It's good to see actual real things happening, which when, we, when you did a presentation, I think at a crisis event with Blackbird, that seemed like real hardcore work that's going on, you know, and is using the technology and is leading it in it. So talk us, talk us through the sort of uh, attitude to AI in terms of doing stuff now, but also conceptually uh, in the future, how it might change things.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, AI, as you might imagine, is a big priority for us right now, right? I think w- what was the most recent data from Sequoia that I, um, I think I referenced it as recent as last week. It's like ninety percent of all written content they believe is going to be AI generated by twenty twenty five. I-, I don't know if that's actually going to be the case or not, but I do know that certainly we're seeing a much broader focus on, um, well, you know, our clients asking us what to do um, in this space, how to leverage AI for. Uh, automation or how to leverage AI to do things that were previously impossible. From our perspective, there's probably like three main areas that we are doing work that is very embedded with AI. First is through the partnership with Blackbird AI, of course, right? Blackbird AI, we work together um, to address mis- and disinformation. And this is a place where it's, if you think about it as like narrative AI, which is what I like to call it probably oversimplification, um, you can do things that, you know, you previously couldn't do, um, particularly around tracking and, um, and, and having an and understanding um, around uh, disinformation narratives. This is a big, of course, topic this week with, with, with sure, yeah. in the Middle East. Um, we also have another partnership actually with S&P Global where we use in partnership with them AI to directly link reputational outcomes with shareholder value. That's really interesting. And then the third place that um, we're using AI is more on like the creative tech side, um, which where we're using AI to um, predictively identify cultural narratives. It's really interesting too. I think though, to be honest, like we're all just, cr- I mean, we're just scratching the surface of what's possible here. Right. And so uh, I- I'm quite excited to see what, you know, what, what, um, where where we go from here there's also an entirely slightly overlooked piece that was maybe more of the conversation last year which is around predictive intelligence pi right and so it's like everyone's talking about ai and they kind of overlook or have forgotten about the fact that pi predictive intelligence is where there is already a a large body of work that that is being done in our space um for clients and so we have you know a number of clients that have come to us for you know a lot of work that is much more predictive in nature. And of course there's an overlap between that and, and AI, especially if, you know, there's like, um, but um, in general, I, I do feel like there's still continued momentum around predictive that um, is largely untapped too.
0: Yeah. So that, that'll be a big focus in the next 12 months, but just to, to finish this segment, tell us what else is on your um, to-do list. Now you've done your hundred days. Now you're really into it. You've got uh, sort of real vision for the business and and what you want to do with it. Talk us through that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So we we talked about the first 100 days, talked about how I've reorganized the leadership team in North America. We've honed in the strategy around, you know, the pillars that I mentioned earlier. We've got a serious amount of momentum when it comes to the wins. Talked about, you know, Pfizer, of course, but alongside that big one recently with Dollar Shave Club, Unilever, of course, CDC, big win with Case this year. And when it comes to, you know, the, the Q4 and then heading into next fiscal, I'll say I'm very bullish. I expect um, it to be a continued year of transformation. And our ambition is to be number one here in North America, right? And so how are we going to do that? Well, we're going to continue bolstering our leadership ranks with you know top talent from within and uh, from the outside. We're going to continue to drive growth around those areas. And I'll tell you a little bit how in a minute. And then we're going to like underpin a lot of that by applying new technology in areas like AI, as we already talked about. With the pillars, with the strategy, corporate affairs, like this is an area where we're transforming our corporate affairs practice to meet the moment, right? And in the past, we've had a lot of discussion around the fact that corporate affairs, I believe, is arguably playing a more material role in the success of CEOs, C-suites, boards than Ever before, I think this is, of course, driven by the fact that you know companies are dealing with any number of issues on a near daily or weekly basis that are more complex than they've ever been, or as complex as they've ever been. Um, expectations continue to be really high from a wider variety of stakeholders, of course, right? And in this space, we're doing a couple of things that you'll you'll hear more about from us this year. Um, one, we're bringing in, and we've already um, brought in the majority of these. But you know, probably sometime around January timeframe, we will make an announcement around our senior advisors, of which we have uh, roughly thirty, and they're they're a part of our you know what we call business and society future strategy, um, and they include top leaders from government and business and. I think you know Ashley Etienne, who was um, most recently with me on a panel. Steve, you'll recall, she of course came from the Biden and Harris um, right.
0: I do recall that panel, Jim. Yes, right.
2: And and all of this is designed on the corporate affairs side.
0: It was a great to... great panel. The audience loved it.
2: I saw that. I I, I thought so. I'm glad to hear that, um, that you felt the same way. Um, and then, of course, all of this is designed on the corporate affairs <laughs> side, right? To continue to allow. Uh, our clients have access to the top C-suite advisors from, you know, um, from within our, um, our organization here at Weber, um, some of which are senior advisors uh, like Ashley and some of which are, you know, um, from across the, the Weber Chamber Collective Network. I'd already talked to you about what our strategy is in health, which is to continue to scale our, you know, what I would argue is our, our preeminent business in, on the pharma side and then diversifying in those other areas I, I mentioned. And then from a brand perspective, right? This is where I think many people know us for our brand business. Clear area of strength for us. Um, arguably, consumer attention, all-time premium, earning that attention perhaps harder than ever. I think you know you you, you certainly know the work that we've done uh, for Skittles with Harry Styles or for you know Pringles with caviar. I mean, a lot of this is right work that combines industry-leading earn creative, sometimes with even AI uh, earning cultural relevance, and then. All of those things, you know, underpin with the ambition that we have, not just in AI, but in AI and I, by that I mean analytics and insights, which of course, AI plays a large role in, as does the fact that we have now built out, you know, what I think is um, arguably one of the most sophisticated tech stacks designed specifically for our industry. Uh, all of these things together, you know, I, I'm quite bullish uh, for what we're going to be able to achieve next year uh, in terms of quality work in terms of you know um growth um and all of the rest
0: good sounds good we look forward to tracking that jim let's get into the topical subjects frank it's a good segue actually with jim talking about brand work there because we've been covering a few campaigns recently where influencers played a massive part and they're all for you know cpg brands the first one was a case study for campbell's chunky which kind of rode on the tails of this uh Travis Kelsey, Taylor Swift um, bubble, didn't it? And then uh, Mr. Beast gets his uniform on for the Tampa Bay Bucks and then there was a, a Pizza Hut
1: girl math campaign. So talk us through them, Frank. And- a, a bubble is one way of referring to it. <laughs> and it's it's an interesting strategy here because the, the Champions of Chunky campaign from Campbell's um, was actually a campaign that ran a number of months ago that they re upped because of this uh, budding supposed romance between Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift uh, and just how much this has taken off uh, online. So basically, they resurfaced some content they made for the Super Bowl last year when both of the uh, Kelsey brothers were playing one place for the Chiefs and one place for the Eagles. Um, when they were both playing in the Super Bowl. And they resurfaced this and sort of gave it a new twist. And um, amid all of the craze about this, uh, let's call it a possible relationship, um, it got more than a million more views on TikTok. Um, and it got good placements in GQ and the Kansas City Star, the Chiefs local newspaper people, and, uh, and Forbes and a few others. So they really made hay out of something that was... Um, you know, not new. And it's interesting because you you tend to think of all of these campaigns as, you know, it has to be new to be valuable. But they actually did a good job resurfacing this um, in terms of Mr. Beast, who uh, I'm told his real name is Jimmy Donaldson. Uh, he was he was it was confusing to football fans and fans of his alike. When he was in full uniform before the Tampa Bay Buccaneers game against the Atlanta Falcons on Sunday, uh, and uh, there's not a lot of info about what's actually going on here, but um, the Buccaneers have signed have signed him to a sort of promotional deal. So again, you know, like you're saying, the power of influencers. Is he known uh, to be a Bucks fan? He, no, he's actually a Carolina Panthers no. fan, and they're in the same division, and so that's that's so controversial. That's, that could backfire, couldn't
0: it? Yeah. Of course the uh, Buccaneers owned by my favorite family, the Glazers.
1: Yes, they they are, <laughs> yes. Yes, they are. Uh, moving on to Pizza also Hut. Also
0: owns Manchester United, just yes. to put that in context.
1: <laughs> yes, moving on to Pizza Hut. Um, so they're getting in on a craze called Girl Math. And I want to be clear, I'm just an observer on on this concept of Girl Math and Boy Math, and I don't have any thoughts on it.
0: But you are going to explain what they both mean. I'm going
1: to do my best, um, <laughs> because I, uh, frankly, this is for a younger demographic than me. Um, we
0: did ask some of the younger we, members.
1: We of the team, did. We? We, I... I yeah, I put a sort of bat signal up for, for Gen ears to explain these things to me yesterday. So, girl math refers to calculations that, we, again, I want to uh, really preface this by saying this is, this is not, not my point of view. This is-, <laughs> this is not my point of view, but it is, it is uh, a social media trend that says girl math refers to calculations that women make throughout the day and generally involves planning and organization more than it involves actual math. Um, And Pizza Hut is embracing this by teaming up with Anna Sitar, who is a social media influencer who provides life advice and videos about lattes. So um, the concept is that the $7 deal lover's menu is a deal so good that it is, quote-unquote, basically free. And that is how the girl math works in this case. Uh, The campaign is a lot of fun. But uh, again, my disclaimer that this is not my point of view about math or gender roles. So what's boy math? (laughs) I'm not totally sure. But in my case, it's probably not being good at math uh, in the least bit. But um, I think it's it's uh, so it was explained to me yesterday by a colleague of ours and that it, it might involve Washing a certain number of socks per week based on how many you know you 're going to use or something like that, it seems slightly more utilitarian and um, okay. yeah i 'm going to stop before I get in trouble all right
0: so Jim the all interesting campaigns all you know with influence at the heart of them, are these the sort of campaigns that are kind of replacing the traditional TV ad and it 's and this is a place where PR firms like Weber and others play and really can prosper. Is is that a fair summation or is there more to it than that?
2: I think there's more to it. I think, I mean, so, you know, these campaigns, in my opinion, like these are a bit different from each other. And so I think the, the, the first one is like a smart example, right? Of a brand working its way into culture. Um, I think the second one, like I heard that it might've gotten a little bit of negative attention for not being fully organic, but that's still, you know. Um, or
0: authentic, yeah. yeah.
2: Um, but you know, I think it's still an example of of, um, of what's possible. I, I don't know. I'm not the target audience for the third one, and so I, you know, like um, Frank, I, I actually am. I don't entirely understand it, and so I don't actually think it's like as simple as having like a one size fits all answer to it. I will say this though: um, the uh, the from our business perspective, like the the amount of opportunity that we see driven by the kind of the whole creator economy around influencer and social and, and all of that working together is, is very significant. And uh, it's, it's actually a key aspect of our kind of our, our growth strategy as well. And I didn't mention earlier, but I, I should have because it's that level of um, important. And so I do think, you know, I'm glad that you guys, um, you, you highlighted these. I think some of them are, um, well, I mean, they're all, they're all interesting in different ways, but um, I don't think they're all created equal.
0: Yeah, for sure. But uh, certainly the the sort sort of work that you'll be doing for brands um and and you're you know picking up on those trends and memes and generational issues and and taking money away from ad agencies you know which is well which has traditionally been with ad agencies and that's not to say that ad firms don't do social and earned and influence work because they do in that you know we see that in uh in can don't we so it's it's a new playing field basically it's much more who's got the best idea and who can activate it in in the most effective manner so yeah interesting stuff interesting case studies all worth checking out on the site prweek.com yeah, let's get well, into holding com- yeah go on sorry
2: i was just going to actually build on the point that you just made which is like you know what i think one of the things that uh that when you come out of like the typical can season that, that, uh, you know, the can lion season that you look at that we were, um, that we pay a lot of attention to certainly, and are are very proud of is like the idea credits. Right. And so you talked about where the best idea comes from the best idea winning. And I think, you know, most recently when we, when we did, you know, have a number of idea credits as part of our overall, um, you know, strong showing at can, like that was one of the things we are most proud of for that exact reason.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, I think, I think, PR firms need to stop concentrating so much on the PR lions and just competing across the board because they are they are just as capable of doing the work and are winning in the other categories. So, yeah, um, that's, a, that's a good point. Let's get on to holding company numbers, Frank. IPG had its Q3s out this week, and they were good for PR, though maybe not great for the whole group.
1: Yes, correct. Uh, so the Specialized Communications and Experiential Solutions Group, which includes the PR firms, uh, at Interpublic Group, which of course includes uh, the Weber-Shanwick Collective and Golan and current global DeVries and RNC PMK, uh, posted 6.5% organic revenue increase in Q3 to uh, just over $371 million. It also makes it IPG's fastest growing segment in the quarter. Um, so a, a good quarter There And and you have to contrast it to uh, the Omnicom numbers that were out, which um, showed a negative quarter in terms of organic revenue for the PR firms over there. Uh, And so as a trend, the holding company agency numbers are sort of all over the place right now, aren't they?
0: Yeah, a little bit, although you have to say Omnicom was up 12% in the comparative quarter last year. So they had a much tougher comparative than... IPG because that they were up. Um, I think it was uh, single digits in 2022. So you have to bear that in mind. Mm-hmm. But even so, uh, it's still a good performance. And you have to note also that IPG was down 0.4 percent overall in revenues. Um, so that that's not massively positive. Um, in terms of the group performance, Jim, you're coming into this from an independent agency. Now you're a holding company. So you have the quarterly numbers, I'm guessing. I don't know how much you, you tell us. How much is that? Does that loom on you in terms of performance? And how much What do you read into those specific numbers from this quarter Q3?
2: Obviously, we're thrilled that you know PR is up, uh, and that we have you know play a a, a very significant role in that. Um, so, and and of course, as um, North America. Because given that we're, you know, roughly 70% of Weber Shanwick's revenue, like we're thrilled that we're able to contribute to Re- Weber Shanwick's contribution and Weber Shanwick's able to contribute to the overall right IPG contribution. So I think that's great. I mean, the reality is um, that, you know, public or private, everyone pays attention to how their performance is. <laughs> and so uh, I don't think that that's that significantly different. Um, I, I do think that... Um, Overall, though, uh, you know, given where things are right now for Q4, I'm I'm uh, happy, and obviously we're, we're quite proud of our contribution. I would say, as we look into you know the remainder of this year, heading into next, I'm overall quite bullish for our contribution.
0: Yeah, if we were looking at some of the other big companies reporting this week, and some of them are really good, really positive results, positive numbers, even GM, which is having obviously issues with uh, labour relations. What do you feel for the overall economy, right? it's It's been very difficult to call because everyone was expecting a recession that never arrived but it is very uncertain there's obviously loads of geopolitical stuff going on there's still inflation yeah. issues how what are you thinking about the overall economy and, and what we're heading into
2: yeah i think you know i think that everyone i mean so i think that everyone felt like the recessionary environment that we've been in for a while might turn actually into a recession and because it hasn't it is um it's just continuing to linger, and so I'm certainly uh, looking forward to the day that it abates and that some of the the um, particularly maybe marketing dollars in certain sectors um, that the uh, f- the faucet that has been turned down not off but down turns back on because uh, that's going to obviously benefit um, right all of us um,
0: yeah
2: and certainly Especially the uh, brand work right exactly. Um, the good news for us uh, as uh, as you might imagine is that given you know the growth that we're driving on the health side and uh, our ambitions on the corporate affairs side, we have a nice uh, balance to our portfolio, um, which is why like I said I feel bullish about our uh, about the year ahead.
0: Yeah, definitely. okay so let's move on to the situation in Israel and um, Gaza um, ho- horrific scenes still there and um we we don't know what's going to happen next but it's been difficult for corporations to respond and um find the right words i think and um i know a lot of work has been done internally and um making sure that the the employee engagement is top of mind but the prsa new york seems to have had particular trouble with the words it was using frank which caused it to have to revise an email it sent out twice to, to talk us through that
1: yeah um They've had a lot of trouble hitting the right notes on this, and uh, as you mentioned, they have had to twice revise uh, an initial statement they put out about the conflict in the Middle East. Now, they originally had a statement that was more of a full-throated support of Israel that that they put out after the terrorist attacks that happened uh, there by Hamas uh, earlier this month. And then they revised it a bit to be uh, a bit more both sided and uh, excuse me, not both sided, but more showing uh, recognizing the plight of the Palestinian people as well. Um, And then a third one uh, really emphasized the need to uh, eradicate both anti-Semitism and Islamophobia and hate every place. Now, um, there's a bit of internal politics with this in that it it um, according to the PRSA, they did not get full approval from their board before putting out the initial statements. And that's, that's curious. And you wonder why they did that. Um, And I'm sure if they could have done it again, they would have gotten the full approval uh, to avoid all of these mishaps as they did this. Um, But it really does illustrate how difficult it is for organizations to talk about this in a way that really satisfies people Um, because there are a lot of different uh, feelings about this and uh, a lot of emotions running high um about this situation um and um it's not going to get easier as a subject to talk about um over the next few weeks because it is uh it's such an extraordinarily difficult situation
0: yeah i agree and uh, it uh, proves how much words matter how much communications matters and um, you've got to be very careful about the way you activate any piece of communication even if it's an email like this so yeah Um, lessons to be learned, I would imagine. Let's talk about gun violence. Our sister title campaign ran some interesting stories about um, how the uh, gun violence prevention organisations are calling on the ad industry for support, but also um, finding that Gun manufacturers are actually targeting kids with advertising, which is kind of frightening to me personally. But talk us through it, Frank.
1: Well, it's frightening, but I don't think it's surprising either. Um, you know, part of a push that was unearthed by The Wall Street Journal, for instance, was Remington and Freedom Group, which is another name for the Remington Outdoor Company, uh, pursued deal- deals to place repl- replicas of their guns in shooter video games as part of a marketing push to reach younger audiences. Um Look, it's kind of terrifying when you think about how many school shootings there have been in recent years. Um, and you would hope that there, there can be some recognition by the video game companies to, to get this sort of stuff out of there, um, you know, in, in terms of marketing this to younger audiences, because obviously there are, you know, horrifying real world issues going on with gun violence in schools. Um, but it was interesting, too, in that there are nonprofits like the Brady Center and Sandy Hook Promise uh, that were talking at Advertising Week New York last week about how uh, they can work with the marketing industry to try to roll back gun violence and really explaining the role that creative agencies and marketing agencies can, um, can play in terms of, of, of really pushing the tide back here.
0: Yeah, Jim, Sandy Hook Promise is a client of yours and you've been involved in some of this work as an agency, I think. Tell us about your thoughts on it.
2: Yeah, well, of course, you know, I'm biased because we're so proud of the work here and and we're thrilled to have Sandy Hook Promise as our client. Um, You know, I think like we have a a responsibility, to be honest, uh, um, uh, as an industry. Right. Um, And and I love when we're able to, you know, be a, a force for good. And uh, that's why, you know, we're so excited to partner with Sandhook Promise.
0: Yeah, it's good work and um, it's a great organization. So uh, let's hope it actually results in some change because I think it's required. Let's finish on Edelman. They've named um, U.S. Crisis and Risk and Corporate Reputation Leads, and they're bringing some operations together out, out west, Frank.
1: Yes, they have. So they've made a few key U.S. executive appointments, naming Brooke Buchanan and Chuck Kaiser as leaders, of the agency's domestic crisis and risk and corporate reputation practices, respectively. Uh, Buchanan replaces Steve Beam, uh, who joined Real Chemistry in August. Um, and uh, Kaiser was previously MD of corporate reputation and leader of the agency's comms tech specialty practice um they have also brought together the operations in california and texas unifying the regional offices uh under a duo of executives uh jonathan jordan the gm of edelman california overseeing the la and san francisco locations and will crane serving as gm of edelman texas and leading operations in dallas austin and houston Yeah, JJ
0: is another former 40 Under 40 honoree. Jim, some uh, names you'll know well from your time at uh, Edelman.
2: Yeah, of course, my friends. Um, I mean, look, I guess I should start by congratulating all of them. Uh, Congrats, Chuck. Uh, Also, Dave Whiting, Will Crane, JJ. I think... um, Look, as a leader, there's there's few things that make you prouder than seeing so many of your former direct reports get promoted, and so I, um, I I love it and I congratulate them.
0: Yeah, let the games commence, the battle commence between the or continue between the two top PR agencies in the in the land. It's all good to see, and it's good for us to monitor over at PR Week, Jim. It's been a pleasure chatting, and I'm um, looking forward to seeing you at the 40 under 40 dinner on the day this podcast will come out and uh, yeah, continued good fortune at uh, Weber. It's great to find out more about uh, what you've been doing and what you're planning for the next uh, year.
2: It's been a great year. Big things ahead. Gentlemen, appreciate you uh, having me on the show. Frank, Steve, I guess we'll see you guys tomorrow.
0: Yeah, looking forward to it. That's the 40 Under 40 dinner Thursday evening. Still a few tickets left if you want to join us. And uh, then we've got the Hall of Fame dinner in New York on the 4th of December. That's going to be terrific. Always honoring a few legends, inducting them into the Hall of Fame. And then don't forget the PR Week Awards, the Oscars of PR. And uh, next March, it'll be the 25th version of those awards so uh, yeah don't miss that get it on your calendar but that's all we got time for we'll see you next time on the pr week